second. Honey, honey, there's a hot topic. Oh, God damn it. Pull, pull the fucking car over. I gotta buy some fucking trip pants. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. I can't wait till we have Alex back to do that. Amen. He's so good at that. <laughs> uh, we're going to do a quick intro. We're going to do a quick stop, quick shortcut. We're going to bring you Alex's Artist of the Week. TBA at this moment, so we're doing the podcast in, again, separate locations. He's coming to us live from his secret CIA underground base. The opposite of live. Yeah. <laughs> He's coming to us dead <laughs> from beyond the grave. Ooh. He is alive. His whereabouts are unknown at this moment, but we bring you the show regardless. Again, he's going to cover the artists of the week, so we're going to quick stop, insert Alex, and then we're going to bring you the remainder of the show. So this is the intro. Hi, I'm Mitchell Herring. We have Celine Senna's Pond. And Did you forget how to pronounce my name for a minute there? <laughs> no. It sounded like it. No. Definitely and Rhiannon Sweetler. Ooh, we're doing middle names now. <laughs> I mean, you have three names. I just felt jealous. Fair enough. There you go. So here it is. Welcome to the show. Let's take let's take a quick break. Bring you the artist of the week. We'll come right back. Thank you guys. Here we go. All right, let's get the ball rolling. Welcome back to the March and Mitch Show, featuring Celine Santa's pun. This is your boy Alex right here, back at it again with your artist of the week. It's a spooky season, lots of pumpkins, jack-o'-lanterns, and spooky shit. So this is typically the time of year where I feel like I'm at my maximum dark power. And I also just love listening to some spookier bands. Uh, I listen to a lot of more gothic-sounding bands from days past recently, bands like Joy Division, uh, The Ladder, New Order, as well as Christian Death, Sisters of Mercy, and some other spooky goth stuff. And then kind of been moving forward into the now uh, looking at all the different alternative acts there are in the world as far as like darker music goes. I know we talk about Wicca Phase Brings Eternal a lot on the show, but this week we are going hit to hit it with you who signed to Epitaph Records not so long ago, kind of bridging the gap between SoundCloud rap as well as uh, emo and dark wave. I want to talk to you guys today about none other than Gucci Highwaters. Previously known under the moniker of Not Morgan, uh, Gucci is originally from uh, Ireland, I believe, and he spent summers there growing up and then would come back to the United States and live in Los Angeles. Uh, the guy's music, I would say, is a combination of like emo R&B, sad rap, and then occasionally has some really good like dark wave synth in a lot of his music. He's got some really good saw wave and uh, buzz wave stingers, as well as some good leads, and his lyrics are just emo, emo bread all day. After making beats for a long series of time as Not Morgan, Gucci Highwaters eventually got into singing himself more and once he got some confidence, started releasing uh, singles on some other platforms of music. I've seen this kid twice now and he's definitely entertaining, uh, a bit enigmatic. There's a lot of buzz around Gucci Highwaters right now. I've heard people say he's pretty much the Justin Bieber of emo rap, if that puts it in a good <laughs> a good ballpark for you. But I was able to see this kid uh, not once, but twice. But he's, he's incredibly talented, a bit bashful, and is somewhat modest. He, he was a pretty humble guy. He was very like young, too. I only remember him being about 20, and I remember he couldn't go into a, a different section at the Portland 21 and Over show at the Paris Theater, back when the Paris Theater was still open. 
and he was on tour actually with Lil Lotus and Smart Death, and I fucking don't care what anyone says if they're like the hot the hot topic cringe kings, but I fucking love Lotus. I love Smart Death. No hate at all. They've got some good hits. People just don't don't give them a fucking chance. Give 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 Smart Death and Lil Lotus a chance. Anyways, Gucci Howard's performance was really cool. He did some good numbers. I can see his confidence grow over the years with his music. He's had a couple good singles out recently with uh, Rope. I love the new single Expectations. Expectations definitely slaps. Uh, he did a tour with Lund and a, a previous artist we've covered on our podcast, uh, Garden, way back in February. I talk about that concert all the time, though, so I'm not going to go into it too hardcore, but the members of the podcast were in attendance. Moving into the future, uh, signing with Epitaph Records, it's a big step up, not just for Gooch, but for all of Sad Rap. It's really cool to see some of these artists like Lil Lotus and like Gooch getting signed to Epitaph Records, which is like historically a punk label. Like we've heard everyone from like Census Fail to Circus Survive, all kinds of great punk acts of the 2000s and 2010s were big, you know, mainstayers on that record label for a long time. So it's kind of cool to see this future landscape of music and how it's going to change. And will sad rap and sad R&B be a trend for the foreseeable future? I'm thinking to myself, yes, big mood. All these songs have big mood. Expectations, the new single, has definitely put me there. Needle in the Thread is great. If you're a Spotify subscriber where you like to listen to the Martian Mitch show, like myself, I'm a big Spotify user. If I'm not checking out other podcasts, I do like to check out different music and playlists. And uh, the complete Gucci Highwaters playlist is a banger. Check it out. That's a great first way to start listening to Gucci. Go on Spotify or Apple Music and just pull up the Gucci Highwaters complete playlist. He's had so many bangers, including I'm So Sick of This. I hate me too. Like this dude literally is feeling this emo fire that's been kind of burning up the music scene for the last, you know, three or four years. It feels like I can't believe it's already 2020. However, the song of the week is going to be a collaboration between him and another artist we've covered on the show. This is your spooky artist of the week. And we're coming at you with Rather Be a Ghost with Gucci Harwaters and Garden. Check it out, guys. Love you. Stay safe this Halloween. Wear your masks over your masks and... Keep it spooky fresh, y'all. Too spooky for you. Six 
feet in the dirt for the season I don't like this life without the hue of your iris Erase your face embedded in my eyelids Patience paints the face of the silent Sorry I'm not coming down Elevated all around my conscious things I'm falling out of Grip I rip the bong and now I'm stone beyond belief I know I fucked it up, it goes to show that I get high when I feel low Please pick me up and take me home And that was Gucci High Waters featuring, featuring Garden. I could have said that. I wanted to say it though. Wow, somebody <laughs> put on their big bridges today. I love Garden. I'm sure you do, but I mean, wow. What I'm a, sorry I cut you off. You should be. Now I know how you feel. I was afraid you weren't going to say it. You didn't even wait for me to say <laughs> it. This is Garden featuring Gucci High Waters. Uh, that's I just. I am so excited that Alex picked that song this week because that's one of my favorite songs that Alex introduced me to. Like it's like whenever I'm listening to that song, I just will catch myself singing and not even remember having made the conscious choice to sing along. It's just so I'm, I'm just so into that song that I just sing along. And it was uh, I just as I was listening to it, it was taking me back to so many fun times when Alex and I were first starting to get to know each other. And we would have these uh, like just drunken karaoke nights in my apartment with Rien where we would just all pick songs that we just wanted to sing all together. And Rien, Alex, and I would always argue over who got to be Garden in that song and who was going to be Gucci. Just such a fun time to, you know, spend with my friends and get into really good new music. And that song just really kind of wraps it all up for me. Mm. Gross. Feels. Emotional support. Love. What Friendship. Are, what are you, a Disney Disgusting. movie? Disgusting. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> I was going to... Tell me about some struggle you had as anyways. Moving forward. Artist of the week, Gucci Highwaters featuring Garden. See what <laughs> How can I trust you <laughs> to be there? Oh, okay, whatever. It was a great song. Yeah, we played the whole thing this week. Uh really, really into it. So it's a really short song. It's two minutes fifty seconds. Alex, your piece was phenomenal. Way to way to bring it on home. I know it's hard being your own host. Uh, solo dolo i've tried it before it's really hard so i mean it's super impressive man that you can just bust out a segment you know remotely like you're here so kudos to you my guy thank you so much uh with that i think we're gonna cut back mm -hmm. and uh show you some other stuff perfect sounds good this week's current event brought to you by the most beautiful co-hosts i've ever had don't get me wrong marchuski's handsome as fuck but nothing compares the two beauties I have in front of me right now. Bring me some knowledge. Bring me 
y'all's perspective. We've got a theme here this week. It's not necessarily spooky unless you've been to Fairview, which I have, which is definitely spooky. Thank you, Salem, Oregon, for being so fucking creepy. We've got so much good creepy shit here, Fairview is the creepiest place I've been there. I've broken in. I brought bolt cutters. I went with my buddy, Matt Bozak. Oh, it's so creepy. I hate it. I hated it. I never went back. Uh, But we have some mental health awareness and some knowledge. You two are like legit experts when it comes to this because this is your other job. So let's talk about some, you know, mental health and awareness stuff. (laughs) <laughs> I will in, right. <laughs> I will insert I will insert that clip but okay. at, at a different time. Sorry, I muted the clip. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, I'm as always glad to have Rian on the show, but I'm especially glad this week because this is going to be our first ever interview segment. So, this week we're going to be talking about Rian's work in the behavioral health field, mental health field in group homes. And to kick that off, I just want to do a little bit of background on the history of group homes in Oregon. So, for Rien's field, which is working with developmentally disabled and intellectually disabled children and adults, this particular subset of people who need additional help in their lives is one that's had a really turbulent history in Oregon. So Oregon pretty much used to keep everybody who was developmentally or intellectually disabled or just basically deemed too troublesome by their caregivers. We used to keep everybody in an institutionalized hospital setting. So essentially a mental hospital just specifically for these these types of individuals. Uh-huh. And the most notorious in Oregon history is the Fairview Training Center. Yeah, the one that's closed down now. That is 100% completely closed down pretty much by order of the federal government. So the Fairview served over 10,000 people in its history from 1907 to 2000 when it admitted its very last patient. And 2000? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought it closed down earlier. So they started the process, and I'm going to go through a little bit of a, a brief history of the Fairview, but they started the process of closing it down in 1987. But Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically what happened with Fairview is that during its time from 1907 to 2000, there was extensive and horrifying documentation of abuse. So... And I, I really don't want to get too into sure. what that abuse sure. looked like. It's it's stuff that we can all imagine. Some MK Ultra shit, right? It's it's everything from using physical restraints like leather straps to restrain people for hours and sometimes days at a time to using things like scalding them with boiling water as yeah. as a punishment. And to sec- a lot of sexual abuse, lots like of yeah. lots of sexual abuse. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, to the extent that the rate of accidental death in mm-hmm. Fairview was double that of the average Oregonian. Wow. So you doubled your chances of dying some type of accidental death if you were a Fairview patient. And so obviously completely horrifying stuff that we we can't allow and it was only allowed to go on for so long because these the the people being served were predominantly people that society had discarded as a valuable mm-hmm. resource and a valuable reporter. The things that people were saying when they came out of Fairview weren't taken seriously. Until the 80s, which is when the number of reports and the the vast body and growing body of evidence about how we should serve people who have disabilities finally resulted in the federal government in 1987 stepping in and basically demanding the closure of Fairview and a transition into some other type of system. Mm -hmm. Uh, You look like you have something you want to chime in, Mitchell. I have a question. So Mm -hmm. was Fairview a private organization that was like run like for profit? 
No, it was a state organization. Ooh, okay, even mm-hmm. worse. Okay, cool. I, I was curious. Like I said, I've only been to it when it was shut down, locked up and chained, and, and, you know, as a mischievous child, breaking into it. Mm-hmm. And, but no, this I've always wondered the deeper story of it. So this to me, this is a super exciting topic. So uh, thank you for answering my question. Please continue. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to emphasize that the people being served in Fairview, while they, you know, may have had behavioral issues, some of them may have done things that qualify as crimes, predominantly people were in Fairview not because they were, you know, bad or problematic people. They were there essentially because their caregivers either genuinely didn't know how to support them or just didn't want to. So it was honestly kind of a storage facility. So in 1987, we started the process of closing down Fairview and thinking of, okay, how do we support people in a way that's going to be actually valuable to them instead of just, you know, locking them away. Well, I uh, I had the understanding of it is that like in the days when that was first originally opened around that time that it was still run mm-hmm. is that was just what you did when you had a child that had a kind of disability like that. Like you were born with a, you had a kid who was born with mm-hmm. Down syndrome. Oh, that means they have to go to this kind of place. Right, yeah. And then I think, you know, where it kind of comes into play with the the caregivers that just either didn't want to or didn't know how to was like like autistic children where, you know, either it got to a point where they couldn't work with their child and needed additional help or, you know, just didn't, didn't feel like dealing with those behaviors. Right. Yeah, so things like that were kind of where people got just, you know, dropped off at the hospital. And OPB actually has a really excellent series on the closure of Fairview and how that all happened and what it was like in Fairview. And they also cover the People First movement, which was actually begun by people who had been eventually released from the Fairview institution. And they started this basically to say, we need to put people who are experiencing disability, we need to put them first. And so they started this really excellent organization that is, you know, it's gone international and it's really helped shape what we think about when we think of how do we support people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so basically what they said is we deserve a dignified and independent living system. We don't deserve to have people wake us up at 530 every day and punish us if we don't get up. We don't deserve to be told what clothes we can wear on that day. We deserve to be adults who can make our own human. Yeah. Make our own free choices. Yeah. It was essentially a prison. Exactly. It was, it was very much a prison. And so now as a result of all of this, Oregon is actually the only state in America where 100% of developmentally and intellectually disabled people live in residential, non-institutional settings. My body does this. Yeah, Jake Jake does this. Mm-hmm. He, he lives in a super tiny government-funded um, uh, apartment, and it's paid for because he's, mm-hmm. you know, so far on the spectrum. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. And it may be that he's even part of what's subsidizing his housing. It may even be that it's from the Fairview Trust, because mm-hmm. that was one thing that Fairview was required by the government to establish was a trust to support people with disabilities living independently. Yeah, he went. He went to the. He went to the place that's off Lancaster. Mm-hmm. He he was there for several 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 months. Me and my buddy Michael went and visited him when he was having his issue. And they found out that he had like a brain tumor uh, that was like causing a lot of this. And mm-hmm. so like, he got treatment and got help. And then like they released him. And um, yeah, he's now like living on government assistance. But at the same time, like he's like seriously happy like he's he put on a lot of weight mm-hmm. in the institution 
Um, he put on like probably 40 pounds. Like, dude, homie was thick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so like once he got out, like he started like skateboarding again. Like, he was a skateboarder. Just being able to live his life yeah. again. Uh-huh. He was a super uh, predominant skateboarder. We almost got him uh, when I was in Eugene, got him sponsored by Globe Shoes, which is oh, cool. an international company. Uh, Cause he was super good at it, but yeah, now he's uh, he dude just by skateboarding and and being able to live his life he, because of the system that you're talking about, he's uh, he like dropped the weight. He looks good, dude. He's living a good life. So Oregon's uh, I'm I'm proud to to say that they did a good job. That's yeah, awesome. yeah, that's a, that's amazing. That's not yeah. always the case. No, Oregon no. is still not awesome, but you know they're working. It worked on out it. for mm-hmm. him, right? It worked out for him for sure. Yeah, and so so where this kind of segues into having Rien here on the show tonight is that I actually first met Rien when I took a job working at a group home that serves uh, individuals who are developmentally disabled or intellectually disabled who've also had sexually aggressive behaviors. Grr. So, you know, people that 100% would have been institutionalized in the past, you know, people would have said, well, you're, you know, in the past they would have said, well, you're retarded and you've done this gross thing, so... Mm-hmm lock them up, throw away the key. No one ever has to see them again, right? <laughs> but we now recognize that that's not how, how we help people get better. It's not how we serve our community. And so I kind of just stumbled into this job and immediately just thought that it was fascinating. Um, and I ended up working under Rien uh, as as her assistant manager. And so, you know, I, I really got to understand what Rien was about, but also about what, it, you know, what group home work looks like and what's valuable in a group home. So I'm super excited to have Rien on the show tonight. And I really want to thank you for being here and, and available for an interview because I think that this is a really amazing topic. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited. So Rian, tell us just a little bit about just what you do. What's what what is your job? Uh, so I'm coming kind of in limbo right now. But like if you'd asked me a few months ago, I could uh, say that I work with uh, three youth typically and I basically make sure that uh, the staff are taken care of and supported. The clients are taken care of and supported. And, you know, two days I'm on the floor with the clients where I'm actually, mm-hmm. you know, like interacting with them the whole day, cooking dinner for them, getting their meds and just making sure they're getting to appointments and all of that kind of stuff. And your title is program manager. So you you basically run a house. Yes, I run a house. Right now we are transitioning because we we have really bad staffing issues. So my youth program just closed down, but now I'll be managing an adult program. So I'll have three adults in the house that mm-hmm. I'm just helping uh, support them in their quality of life and uh, training staff and stuff like that. Cool. Well, thank you. Um, when did you start doing this? Uh, December 2012 was when I was hired. So mm-hmm. it'll be coming up on eight years that I've been Whoa. here. I did not know that. Yes. Holy <laughs> shit. You're like like official. She's <laughs> a legit expert in this field. I, yeah. I grew up. I was 21 when I got hired and I worked my way up. Like I basically grew up with this company and it made me grow up really fast. Mm-hmm. So cool. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm impressed. I'm not going to lie. Thanks. I mean... <laughs> Oh, go ahead. No, it just, I mean, it just shows like being your friend. I mean, I know we're just like, you know, I mean, we're family at this point, but yeah. uh, over the last year, like you have just this boss bitch attitude <laughs> that is so refreshing. It's just because of my job, honestly. I was nothing like that before. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's refreshing. No, I, I appreciate it. And it's something that, you know, as, as the group, we, you know, family group that we have uh, is, is clear. It is refreshing to have somebody who's just like super like knows what they want all the time. And uh, to me, like I appreciate the shit out of that. Like even in any circumstances, it's just nice to be around people who are just like 
this is what I want personally. I have really good boundaries because of this job. And mm-hmm. I think that that bleeds out into my life a lot, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. No, I think more people should take uh, cues from that. And it's just like, just say what you want. Just say what you want, man. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big ol' yeah. <laughs> um, Am I talking too much? I'm sorry. No, I know. I appreciate your your contributions. Um, so what what brought you to start this line of work? Because obviously it's a kind of niche field working yeah. with developmentally disabled sex offenders. Well, like you, it was kind of an accident. I had just moved to Oregon uh, with my dad. I was just kind of like bouncing around, not really knowing what I was doing. I was working at fast food jobs before this pretty much but uh, I found it on Craigslist I found out during the interview that it was where it was for sex offenders people who oh so you didn't know until the interview no okay that's usually how they do it well and I happened to like I just happened to google okay yeah no I I knew going in but the attitude when they interviewed me was very much so do you know who we work with here (laughs) it's because nobody ever knows going into the interview so like they told me that I was going to be working with people who are doing sex offender treatment they were there for sex related crime Times. And so, like, I was 21 years old, like, pretty immature. I only had done fast food at this point, and I was like, pretty like overwhelmed by that. But I was like, okay, I mean, sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, not boring. And I'll do it. And the first like two weeks, I was so overwhelmed with the responsibility of like of these people's lives in my hands. I, I caught on pretty early that it's like just a major responsibility. I am mm-hmm. like responsible for these people's meds. You know, their life goals, they're they're just like learning skills and stuff on top of the right. their development aspect. as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. On top of the behavioral aspect of dealing with them when they're at their most mo- worst moments. I was like the first two weeks, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I'm probably going to quit. This is so hard. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, after a month, I got under like, I got my feet under me and I, I learned to just really love it like really mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah, so so eight years obviously is a really long time in a pretty challenging field. So what's why why are you still doing this? You- uh, I'm still doing this because one, I, I love a lot of the people that I work with, my coworkers, like the people who stay at PTCN mm-hmm. tend to be some of the best people in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, they are just so compassionate and really good team members and they really, really care about the people they're working with. And so I've made the best friends of my life, including Celine here at that job because it just attracts a certain kind of person. Uh, I also really, really enjoy taking care of people. I really, one of my favorite parts of the job is just cooking for clients and like making sure Mm -hmm. each one of them has a good meal every day. And like they, I already always memorize like what they prefer in each meal. They're always excited for me to cook for them. And just as the little things like that, where I'm improving their lives every day by just as things as basic as food or like finding a way to get them contacts instead of glasses when no one ever thought mm-hmm. about that before. It's just those little things that they, it really does like perk up their day and like going on, you know, going on good actives where we play disc golf or just like go fishing and or biking for two hours. Like it's, it's yeah. just such a good way to spend my day. It's the most rewarding job. And I, I can't see myself really right now doing anything else. Like I, I know someday I'll move on, but confirm Rianne's cooking is literally the bomb.com right everything Amen. everything that you have put in my mouth <laughs> goddamn 10 out of 10 it's and I so good i couldn't cook before i started this job like oh, because i was forced into the situation oh. where i was in this house with like limited supplies like whoever did grocery <laughs> shopping that day was terrible at yep. it mm-hmm. and i had to whip together something with the food that i had like it, it really mm-hmm. taught me how to actually cook food mm-hmm. It's so good. Everything. I've, and it's yep. it's mm. funny because uh, a client that Rhiannon and I had together, I remember that I, you know, when it was 
you know, I had to make a sandwich for this kid if I was taking him to an appointment and he was going to miss lunch or something like that. I remember I would always be like, hey, hey, what what kind of sandwich do you want? And he was just like, just the one that Rian makes. No. And like, I remember literally oh. having to text Rian because this client literally wouldn't tell me more than that. He was just like, the one that Rian makes, oh, like man. the Rian sandwich. I, I, I and want, so I literally I had to text that. Rian and be like, "How okay, what? how do you make this kid's sandwiches? Yeah, I've had staff come to me and be like, I was going to make this meal, but they, <laughs> this client stopped me and said, Rian makes this. Uh, <laughs> I want I want Re- the Rian sandwich right now. I'm craving it. I don't even know what it tastes like, but I want it right now. <laughs> I can still list for you what that sandwich looks I make like. It, I make it uh, tailored to the person. I know. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know I, what Mitch wants. But. I think that's what I want. It's just I just want somebody to care enough to about me and my sandwich. Yeah, and that's what it is about. Is I care enough about these people where the tiny little day to day things I pay attention to and I remember, and mm-hmm. and that's how I form relationships with these people. They see that I care. Oh, my heart just melt, melted oh, a little ah, bit. Ah. And what I've observed is it really does make such a huge difference to have that that attention to details as far as... You guys are both so good at this. I... Thanks. Um, But, you know, I... In, in my experience as well, working in, in the group home, I, you know, remember I worked a couple weekend mornings in a row, and so I was responsible for making breakfast for the kids. Yum. And, you know... It would be pancakes on the menu, and I was like, "Well, I don't want to just make boring old pancakes with the mix." And so I, all I did was I added some cinnamon, but they went crazy for it. Like just the attention <laughs> to detail and the care. Of, <laughs> I want to add something to make it just a little bit more fun and a little bit more like what your mom might make. Bazinga! Yes. Sorry. Well, and that's um, what a lot of people tend to like just not focus on. They, they a lot of people just don't want to cook meals for them because they just. You know, they're there for a job. Yeah. Uh, they don't see the value in oh, it. That's but... crazy to me. I think, like, if you were to have that kind of job, like, it would be something that you would, like, I don't know. Like, me personally, again, I I, I would, like, I would just pour my soul into it. <laughs> well, it's a soul-sucking job, so it's not always easy. <laughs> <laughs> kind of so like my I've current job. Definitely so. have a love-hate yeah. relationship with this kind of job. Um, but obviously I've been there for eight years because the reward is big enough to deal yeah. with the, the soul sucking part of Aww. it. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sure it pays off because your, your kind of soul sucking impacts, like it actually changes people's lives. Whereas, you know, what I feel like I experienced, like it's, you know, it, it really doesn't do a shit ton for a lot of people, but your guys is like, it, it can make people's day, you know? So I, again, I, I, yeah. I, w- I wish I could do what you guys do but at the same time i just i don't think i could (laughs) i really wish i could so and i my next question actually was going to be asking but kind of a twofer of what you find the most rewarding and the most challenging and you've done a really great job covering what's what's the most rewarding is there anything you want to add to that or well i want to add a little more to the yeah the Mm -hmm. more rewarding is uh after it takes time to build really solid uh, rapport with Mm -hmm. clients Mm -hmm. and uh, you know you get there on the days where they are just at their feeling their worst or even feeling their best but they have a really vulnerable moment with you Mm -hmm. and that can you can always tell it feels really different from because working with DD people or ID people there's a lot of just like weird static of just like they're just they're acting out they're acting 
silly, they're acting whatever, but you know, there's these rare moments where they just are really open and honest and actually saying what they feel, which doesn't really happen very often, but when it does, that's a really freaking good Mm -hmm. feeling. That's beautiful. I, I love that. Yeah, and then where I get to be a little bit, you know, I have really good boundaries, we have to be very you know, aware of what we are sharing, but I, I'm able to find the pieces where I can also be a little bit vulnerable with them mm-hmm. too, without like going right, crossing that line. Yeah. Which yeah, is definitely a difficult line to navigate as far as like an example of that is like, mm-hmm. uh, and there was one day where, uh, I, I was trying to get him to talk to me cause I could tell he was feeling something and I, all day he was just avoiding me. And then at the end of the day he came up to me and I was like, I have just been feeling really alone. And Mm -hmm. like it was that moment where I was like, you could tell it was really how he had been feeling. He didn't know how to communicate it until that moment. And then at that time in my life, I was also going through some really hard stuff and feeling Mm -hmm. like that like cut me in my heart. I was like, dude, that's exactly how I've been feeling lately, too. And I'm really sorry you're going through that. And like that was just it it almost made me cry in the moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was a really good time. That's amazing to get to be the grown up that says I that's valid. I, I hear you and I, I feel that too sometimes. Yeah. And that those little moments are just that, that really makes my job. That's that's beautiful. I'm, I'm really glad that you added that to to the piece of, of why it's so such a rewarding field of work. Mm. Um, so the flip side of that is what's what do you find as being some of the most challenging things about your work? <sighs> uh, there is a really big stack Um Right now, particularly like during COVID, we're, we've always struggled with staffing problems where it's just like people call in or people quit and getting getting the positions filled is really difficult. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I don't need to go too much into that. Every group home in Oregon is struggling with staffing and that sucks. Uh, on top of that is also the... Uh, so hard to pick between like <laughs> staff issues and <laughs> client behavioral <laughs> issues, <laughs> which is so interesting because you'd think that in this field of work, the, ch- the clients would be the, the number one challenging thing. Right. But- well, that was the case before I was a program manager. Mm-hmm. And so before I was a program manager, it really was the like really intense, uh, just crazy, like adults having really <laughs> crazy tantrums basically right. mm-hmm. and like Adult you know meltdowns. destroying of property or even like doing weird sexual stuff like storing Ooh. semen in spice cups no <laughs> yeah no oh yeah no! <laughs> yeah what no that's the true story yeah no actually uh there's a firm rule at this company uh against having soap that that's so hardcore we though. have to have clear soap so that we can yeah. see if there's anything. Anytime a staff buys a cl- uh, uh, one of the cloudy right. soaps, yeah. I'm like, how do we know if there's semen in this? We don't. We, we have no way of knowing if soap. we're washing our hands with semen. <laughs> yeah, because some clients have put semen in the soap that is a communal soap. Oh, I mean, that's like, that's some like CKY jackass like prank shit. Like that's so fucked. Yeah. No, I. Wow. You know, you always wear gloves when you do room searches. There's a reason mm-hmm. for that. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like even what? just really odd things like not being able to have uh, like toilet paper dispensers at certain homes right. because those apparently can be fun to put up your butt. It's, oh, yeah, it's because like I don't think anyone's ever said that out loud when we're training, but it's just like yeah. known across the board. You don't put you know things that you could put up your butt in the toilet in the bathroom. right. <laughs> Particularly because ah. that's the only place that they're encouraged to oh. release them themselves if right. if needed. Yeah, I don't know how this makes me feel. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm proud. I'm disturbed. I'm uncomfortable. Like 
the degenerate side of me is like, yeah, <laughs> feel your freak. But at the same time, it's like, you don't, you don't do that. Oh man. Wow. These people are amazing. God bless them. And they're, they get re- pretty creative. Yeah, that is indeed. That is some, that is some genius debauchery. And I do, I do re- want to encourage you to, if you feel the urge to share any just interesting stories, you know, Please, I, please, please yeah. feel uh, feel free to follow that urge. If you have any stories that come to mind that you want to share, you're absolutely welcome to share them here. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know how the, it's hard to beat the semen in the spice containers. Um, Impressed, but ten, ten out of ten. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to share the only one that comes to mind just because I don't want to talk about. No, it. No, it no, make no. Me, make me sad. No, no, no. That's a, a yeah. I've, but there's I've, peanut okay, butter, yeah. and it was bad. I appreciate the layer of. Of imagination that you're creating right now when it comes to the this level of debauchery and i and i'm so impressed yeah i've like found a lot of like disturbing notes about me specifically mm. like, i mean come on like I, come on it's rianne like, i mean i know one. you can't see rianne but if you could see rianne there's there's a clear reason there was uh, a there was one homework uh, there was a treatment homework assignment you could probably help me remember this mm-hmm. lena there was a it was like a journal of like a how to solve a problem or something and this client used it as an opportunity to use it as his bank bank as usual and the this problem that he was solving was uh there was two staff one was Celine <laughs> and one was me and he was story. trying to decide yeah. which one was hotter and then he decided that Rianne was hotter and then he like what did he do I and I, I remember this pa- piece of paperwork and I I don't remember the exact train of what happened it was something but- crazy like he like touched my boobs and just he solved the problem by having sexual experiences yeah. with both of us and, and deciding so this you know weighing pros of, and cons hey honestly a pretty solid understanding of problem solving yeah. Yeah. just also wildly inappropriate yeah so this is the kind of stuff i would find sometimes during room searches can i say my one of my favorite yes. uh room search pieces of no, evidence no no <laughs> i don't want to hear this no, no. <laughs> uh so one ah. of my favorites was a client that during a room search i found some paperwork he had written where he was ranking all of the staff's physical attributes. That's it. I'm out. And so he had like a grid. He had a grid system that was, you know, boobs, butts, vaginas, which. How would he know? And I I don't want to brag. I hate hearing. It makes but me just so saying, jealous. I'm, so I'm just jealous. saying that he rated my butt a 54,000. I'm not sure what the scale was. 54,000 spankings. Oh, that's right. It was 54,000 spankings. spankings. So I get 54,000 spankings. Can confirm. And uh. Rianne only got 13,000. <laughs> Have you seen Celine's butt, though? Okay, yeah, Celine's got a pretty good caboose. <laughs> we were just talking about this. I can't handle this. Yeah. I, I can I take a break? Can you just handle the rest of the show? I'm tired now. This, this emotionally, I don't want to know that other people are wanking their business to to my fiance's uh, took us. Oh, I had a client that was wanking it but while I was talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> I would go into his room to be like, just, you know, wellness check or let him know wellness. dinner was ready. And I would go in and he's just, he's just got his hand under the blanket while I'm talking to him, just like, (laughs) (laughs) sir, you need to do that in the restroom and not while I'm fucking talking to you. Uh, So many wild stories that we could share. Yeah, Um, we could talk all day. We really could. Um, I hate, thanks, I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) 
so is to kind of transition a little bit into, you know, what other people should know about group homework. Um, is there something that you are, are there things that you wish that more people knew about group homes or the clients you work with? Like people who do not work there. Right. Yeah. Just your, you know, you and I, before we started working here and had no experience in group homes, what do you, what do you want as somebody who's never been in a group home, doesn't know what's going on there? What are you getting into? Yeah. What, well, what do you want them to know about group home life? And then kind of a separate question. What do you wish people knew about like your clients, the type of people that you and we serve? Yeah. Well, I, w- I would like people to know that it's important that if you're going to this line of work, you need to be committed to getting off your butt and like motivating these people to get off their butt because mm-hmm. they're already in a rut. They're already like in a situation they probably don't even want to be in. So try to come in with the mentality that you're going to be getting these people into the community, out of the house and like having fun with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the second part of the question? So what do you want people to know? Because I, I mean, especially with our clients, with the fact that they are sex offenders as well as being DD. Uh, developmentally disabled. What do you wish that people knew about those types of clients? Um, Well, one big thing that a lot of people struggle with for a long time when they first start is not seeing change really quickly. Mm -hmm. And I have to explain to people all the time is that like when you're working with this population, the change is going to be not over a matter of years or uh, not over a matter of months. It's going to be literally years. Like mm-hmm. you will work with them for a year and be, see a very minimal change. And that really disheartens people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been there eight years. So I have seen a lot of people actually really progress Aww. and gain skills and be able to just interact with people so much better and control them, their emotions so much better that I've been able to see that reward. So mm-hmm. uh, can you give us an example of like a behavior that you saw when somebody. Yeah. So when I first very first started, there was this client that I worked with who was uh, just having eight hour escalations every day, like for eight hours straight. He was losing his mind. He was super emotional. He was angry. He was throwing stuff. He was crying really, really long periods of emotional dysregulation. Mm hmm. Um, and just like, couldn't even like be around female staff without like being obsessed with Mm -hmm. them or feeling like I need to like being really jealous over any time that that female staff didn't interact with him or whatever. Um, and that same person eight years later, almost seven and a half, uh, he, he has grown so much where he is able to communicate to people how to work with him. He's like, this is what I need from you. And And it's not like coming from a, like manipulative or like like kind of nasty ways like a wholehearted honest like i know like he's learned how to say he's learned Here's how to what communicate I so well that like even i am impressed like even like on normal people standards that's <laughs> and, amazing yeah i'm like he's able to even like write a whole poster on like his cycle his sex offender cycle and his emotional cycle and like describe that to people mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he still gets frustrated with people. There was one instance recently where he was at the store and there was this staff who is new and like, you know, kind of like daddying him a bit where he's just like bossy a bit too much. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was telling him how to interact with the clerk. And this client was like, he was like, I wanted to tell him to shut the fuck up because I know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't do it. <laughs> and and actually, and I think I know the client that you're, you're referring yeah. to. 
that client, when I first started, I, I was full time in the house where he lives. And, you know, I was just a fresh little doe-eyed baby and I had no idea about boundaries. And so I was just constantly trying to like build their self-esteem um, by giving compliments every time that they had done something well. And I remember there was one day when I was working with him when um, one of my, my other staff, who is his like primary staff that he worked with, said, hey, Celine, this, this client would like to, uh, to chat with you about something. Do you mind stepping over here with us? And so I went in and I talked to this staff and to this client. And the client communicated to me that when I give him too many compliments, it gives him the wrong idea. And he thinks that I'm you know, potentially interested. <laughs> and the fact that, because I mean, can you, I can't imagine communicating something like that, that straightforwardly to somebody just saying, you know, if, if there was somebody that I worked with, I can't imagine going to them and being like, when you give me these compliments, it makes me think that there might be something sexual here. Being and nice I know that that's yeah. not what you want. Being, like, that would be such a hard well, conversation. Well, the fact that he knows that's not what you want is such growth for him. Exactly. Mm. Because, and like, can articulate, hey, yeah. this isn't helping my development. And so, it, yeah. And the, the same guy would have like crazy anger episodes because he thought that the fact that I was giving attention to another client, it meant that I was having sex with him in my car. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so because everyone in society is dealing with that. And, you know, it's difficult for all of us. And then imagine that you were raised somewhere that is not not helpful. You know, you're raised somewhere that is abusive. You already have a little bit of some type of developmental offset that makes it more difficult for you to learn, mm-hmm. learn mm-hmm. new things and socialize. It's hard, yep. Yeah, like the deck is just totally stacked against you. And so to see somebody like this client really develop as a person is... Incredible by anyone's standards, but particularly with the deck he was dealt. Yes. No, that's, that's what I was going to point out, too, is like this person was raised in horrible conditions mm-hmm. on top of having his disabilities that he has. And so he came in with just like a, a short deck anyway, if that's the phrase. And just the growth that he's shown since is it. That's that's why I'm still here. Yeah. Being able to, I mean, for anyone in any uh, part of the spectrum, being able to understand like where you're at. Where where you have shortcomings, and then like, you know, see that growth is insane in, in people who especially need that kind of growth in their life. So, thank you. Um, honestly, it's probably the most impressive job out there. And um, I just yeah, it's just it's hard to imagine what the world we live we live in without like the guys that you you have this job. So thank you. Yeah. Was that all your questions, Lane, or do you have more? I've got a couple more. Yay. If, if that's cool. Yeah. Do we, do we still have time? We'll babe? keep it short. Mm, well, we'll tie it up with a couple yeah. more questions. Yeah. We'll, we'll tie it up. We'll, no, be honestly, I don't, I don't have much to say about the uh, nostalgia trip. So, yeah, you guys have this topic on fucking lockdown. So, yeah, just keep going. So, <laughs> okay. So, the, so obviously we talked a lot about the reforms that happened after Fairview and very much in indirect response to Fairview. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I... I recall working with our, our our clients, you know, one big thing is never, ever saying go to bed or go to your room. Right. You know, we there are so many things that are holdovers from Fairview that you're being very distracting. <laughs> Mitchell's waving his arms in the air like a monkey. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you are 86. You're, you're 86. 86. <laughs> <laughs> 
gentlemen. Ready? Let's get them out of here. Get them out of here. Mitchell can't talk for two minutes. Yeah, Mitchell can't talk for two minutes. He's out of here. <laughs> no more waving your arms or anything <laughs> weird and distracting like that. Um, so the, yeah, so so one thing that's huge in our field is you can't tell somebody you have to be in your room. You can't tell them where they have to be. A direct holdover from Fairview where people were very much told where they had to be and what they had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously there have been tons of reforms in how we work with developmentally disabled individuals, uh, which is amazing. That's that's great work for human rights. Yes. But I think that it's probably fair to say that there's still things that probably need to change. So in your experience, have you noticed things that still need to change as far as how we, we work with the type of clients we serve? Ugh, things that need to change and how we work with them. Uh, honestly, we're trying a whole we're trying really hard and I feel like it's hard for me to answer that for group homes in Oregon as a whole because I work with a certain kind of population where we have a lot more rules than other group homes might have because of their sexual aggression Mm, and history mm -hmm. um so I'm not really sure how to answer that question I do feel like if if we had more training on the floor if like we have a two-week 80 hour period of training and I feel like honestly that should be you you get what like t- eight weeks in at T-Mobile I got 10 weeks of 10 training weeks of to training be able to talk to T-Mobile. people about whatever their stupid billing issue is and we're honestly we have control over these people's every second of their life we need way more training and we need people who are trained to train who are way more serious about it because mm-hmm. I do training but then there's people who have been doing it for I, I can see they're not putting as much effort into it when it's just so important. Like these people's lives are literally in our hands. Mm-hmm. So if we find, you know, that's honestly one of the things that people complain about the most is not good enough training. But that's so hard to figure out right now. But we need to. That's one thing that really needs to be better. I agree. I'm back from the <laughs> I'm back, back from the dead. I'm back from the penalty box. Uh, <laughs> in case you weren't sure, uh, I can't wait to insert the the audio clips for for. We've being. got some fun audio clips for when Mitchell's uh, in the penalty box. I'd like to talk a lot, and so like I interrupt a lot, and it's it's just it's just this internal need to talk. It's and his I, ADHD. He can't and it's funny it. because I I you've actually been interrupting way less verbally, but you've been interrupting way more like physically with. I don't know how I wish I had counted how many times I saw Mitchell do the like inappropriate hand. Yeah. The the (laughs) pain in the machine hand signal. I'm trying. I'm doing my my best. Anyways, I'm back. I can't wait. Uh, Anyways. Um, So, yeah. So I I, again just want to thank you so much for sharing all of this because you with eight years in this field, your insight is so incredibly helpful and relevant. Um, my last question is just a fun one. Are there any f- just fun stories that you want to share? You know, either escalations that were just bananas or things that were really rewarding or things that were just terrifying, cute and funny or terrifying. <laughs> oh, man. All of the above. Uh, but the ones that come to mind or like a short one would be that there was one client that really wanted to get a spray tan. Mm-hmm. client who at that time I said this specifically because he is crying all the time and just like super emotional always having something to melt down about and uh he so he wanted a spray tan 
and I just gave him a heads up. I was like, okay, like, that's cool. I'll help you do that. But like, just a heads up. If you get a spray tan, you can't shower or cry for 24 hours because it might ruin the spray tan. <laughs> and he was so appalled. You can't cry for 24 hours. That's impossible. I want a spray tan <laughs> now. It's not going to oh. happen. <laughs> That's so funny. And I, this is one of the youth clients? Yes. Okay. He was, he was like 13 at the time. <laughs> and what a mood at 13 in this program is just you know, on top of, you know, there's obviously all of the things that are kind of um, extraordinary about their circumstances and what they're dealing with. But there's also so many things that it's just like, man, I really relate to you. I remember being 14 and just being like, nobody look at me or I'll kill myself. Yeah, dude. So these people are 14. They're not with their families. They're stuck in a house in a 24-7 awake supervision home where they're not able to... <laughs> <laughs> They're not, they're, yeah, they're not able to do what made me as a 14-year-old really happy. Like, I understand right. that a big part of all of their emotional outbursts are because of that stuff. So Right, 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 right. No, I, I, on a personal, I feel that. Like, not being able to just, like, you know, scamper off and lie to mom or dad about, like, what I'm doing for, like, 15. And sneak off. Yeah. And, like, right. So much of what yeah. made my teen years bearable was being able yeah. to break the rules. And, and they so, don't have that option. Yeah, yeah. Just just for one night, even. It, People it, get hung up on the fact that they did sex crimes, which no, is true. That's, no. That is, no. obviously, that's really bad. And it's they bad. have hurt people. But to a certain extent, like, there are levels to the crimes. But to a certain extent, like, they are still human who are yeah. still feeling these things. And if, the sooner that people would just accept why they're feeling that like it, it makes your job easier to just empathize with them on that right not pathologize yeah. what they're going through it's, I'm it's not a pathology because, it's, yeah i'm always the same level like i totally understand like where they're coming from like dude like you, you your know, upbringing yeah upbringing like there there's this whole uh pot of reasons of of who you are and of why you are your dna the 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 influence you have as as an infant as an adult and I just don't feel like it's appropriate to judge people based off their actions without a full understanding of their their story. Like everybody has their own story, and like even me, like I've made some terrible decisions, but I was blessed enough to right. to be lucky. Well, and one other thing I want to say is that we have like some people who, for sure, like you need to always remember their crimes. Like this <laughs> right. person mm -hmm. is here for a reason, right? And right. then they we will have hurt people, someone unsupervised. Then we have people who have, you know, they were very young when it happened, and it's not as really scary as like duct taping someone and like mouth raping them to death, right? <laughs> so, right. and it, as long as we're remembering to not exactly always remind those people of those crimes. Each, when, like, when each person is, has its own individual. Yeah. Like, right? So I feel like people often will treat them all as these heinous, awful sex offenders. And that's not necessarily good because some of, especially the youth, particularly the ones who stay in the adult program tend to have the more heinous crimes. But mm -hmm. the youth programs are the ones where it's like, okay, I think that we can help you. Right. And like, yeah. this is something that you can learn from. And Right. Which is why I preferred working with the youths is there's... Like it it's could, not fair. Yeah. And like, I'm not saying that I would treat them the way that these clients have been treated. Right. It, Most of our clients have come from it, pretty yeah. extraordinarily but terrible some of circumstances. Them have come from normal homes. Mm -hmm. And like, that's what it really terrifies me. Yeah. Right. I don't ever. No, it's good. You should. And I, you know, to answer my own question of what I wish that people know about our clients is exactly that. I think that everyone can relate to our clients on some level. 
And I I just, you know, kind of to close this out, I just really, again, want to say thank you for being here, Rian, and shedding light on this topic. And thank you so much for the work that you do, because what while you were talking about what's rewarding, you know, making food for these clients, making something that, that puts a smile on their face and gives them the best possible quality of life, really made me think of something that the warden of Norwegian prisons said. Uh, he was talking about he was defending why Norwegian prison is actually really nice like the the <laughs> beds in Norwegian prison are nicer than my dorm room mm-hmm. um it's it's a lovely place and they they make exceptions for you know for for inmates who deserve to have exceptions and you know he defended that by saying that we are not here to punish them the punishment is that they are with us the punishment exactly. is that they are away from their families, away from their lives. Yeah. They can't make all of their own choices. So that's enough punishment. The punishment, like this is a line that's always stuck with me, is the punishment is that they are with us. And you don't need to compound that. And I, I really hear you saying that that's something that you bring into every day of your work is not punishing their very existence. And I just, I think that that's remarkable. I think that a lot of people get burnt out in this field and start doing things that are just either apathetic or eventually sometimes cruel Mm -hmm. and I just really want to say thank you so much for supporting our community members who need this help and being there to help them be the best people that they can be and enjoy their lives as much as they can absolutely and I think with that uh we're just gonna skip the nostalgia trip and honestly no seriously um, no it's such a good one though no yeah it ties in no i think we should do at least a little <laughs> no, a little no, snippet no, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take a break and talk about it I've no no, yeah. no no so one flew one flew over the cuckoo's nest it's a great film um i don't have much more to say to that jack nicholson fucking crushes it <laughs> as far as an actor goes he uh ends up being lobotomized spoiler alert from 1975 <laughs> yeah if you haven't seen it by now yeah. <laughs> right not, yeah you've had not, time it's your yeah. fault. the whole movie is basically just like is he crazy is he not crazy like that's it like the whole movie is just like this like super intense experience until you watch the end and then he's got a fucking drill brain in it, well, one thing one thing that's really cool about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is that it was filmed here in Salem. It was. On the same street as the Fairview Center was. It was. Agreed. Uh, you know, Fairview was in the middle of Salem. The State Hospital was in the middle of was Salem. Was it the same street? I think so. Yeah, I believe yeah. they I were both Fairview on the center street. Fairview was on Fairview. Oh, maybe it, I'm a liar. <laughs> no, I think Fairview was more south than no, no, the State Hospital. Really? Okay. But... But here's the deal. Uh, I think today's topic was so important and so influential that I, I just, I don't even want to take away from it. So <laughs> straight up, you guys fucking crushed it. This topic was 10 out of 10, the best podcast we've done. I'm just, again, I'm going to just end it here. We're going to insert Alex's uh, Artist of the Week at the start of the show. Like you heard. You rock, Alex. You rock, Alex. Love you, buddy. But at the end of the day, this show was too good to, I just don't want to, I don't, I don't even want to tamper with the conversation that was already, already there. So that is it. That's the show. Thank you guys so much. It's been about uh, exactly 55 minutes. So thank you very much. And y'all have a great rest of your week. This is the March and Mid Show featuring Celine with special guest Rianne. Thank you so much much for being here.